0: for today is from 1 Samuel chapter 8 verses 1 to 20. In those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set uh, set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Saul, as uh, Saul Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming out of the earth. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed uh, departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and became your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it, given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both, you, both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord would give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistine. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all day, all that day and all that night. 1 Samuel 31, 1 to 13. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armour bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But the armour bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites when the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite, Israelite army had fled, and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistine came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtorethes, Ashtoreth, and fastened his body of, to the wall of Bethshan. When the people of jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men marched through the night to beth They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of beth and went to Jabesh, where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under the Tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days.
1: Before we start, though, we're going to pray. Um, so let's pray as we begin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it says in the Bible, that you have made us so that we would seek you and perhaps reach out for you and find you, that you are not far from any one of us. Uh, Thank you, Father, you're not far away at the moment. So I pray, Father, simply that we would reach out for you and find you as you speak to us this afternoon. Please help us to do that in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder whether you have trust issues. I wonder whether you have issues with trust. Uh, I I say that uh, um, because a lot of celebrities have been saying recently that they have. This is Justin Bieber. I know we've got some Justin Bieber fans here. This is what he said recently. I don't really let anyone into my circle. I don't really trust a lot of people, but I kind of keep the people I grew up with close to me. That was Justin Bieber. Uh, Or Mariah Carey, maybe slightly more generation, more my generation, Mariah Carey said this, Trust is always an issue for me. It's never been easy for me to trust anybody. And that's a kind of sad thing to say, but it's true. Uh, What if you have trust issues? Um, and, And particularly trust issues around trusting God? Now, um, if if you're not yet a Christian, if if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're here in church, then that might be the whole thing for you, really. Um, You know, if if you're thinking or you're considering handing over your whole life to God, then you have to be certain that the whole thing isn't a fake, that isn't just made up, that isn't just some conspiracy theory or some convenient lie or, or wishful thinking, that it's not just a big joke you're not going to get let down, that this is something real, that God is there and he is the person that Christians say that he is. Maybe that's you. Or, or maybe if you if you are a Christian and, you, and you're here this afternoon in church, maybe you've still got some some difficulties trusting God completely because you're not quite sure what God is up to. That would be quite a common feeling. Maybe things haven't worked out quite the way that you thought they would uh, with your health or or with your career or with your situation maybe your family struggling and you feel that god's let you down and you're finding it hard to trust him that would be a common thing too and 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 for all of us wherever we're coming from then just living for a few years in this world can leave you with um with trust issues yeah because some of us might have been very let down by people maybe people that we loved and, and, and that can make you cynical. And the next time, you're, you're much less likely to put your trust in someone just in case they let you down all over again, just in case you get hurt. Well, the last five chapters of 1 Samuel have a lot to say about, about trust. This is our last section of our Book of the Year, looking at 1 Samuel, and we've called that Looking for a King. But these last five chapters are written for people who have trust issues and they're saying that trust is possible in a world of betrayal because of what we can see is true about God. Let me say that again in a world of betrayal it is possible to find trust in God because of what we know to be true about him and I'm going to summarize in a minute what happens in these last five chapters we haven't got time to read them all out. That would take us uh, a bit too long, but I'm going to summarize them for you and then we're going to learn two reasons why the God of the Bible deserves our trust in a world where people sometimes let you down. So let me take you through the final act of uh, the book of 1 Samuel in chapters 27 to 31. And if you've got a Bible there, if you've got it on your phone, you might want to flick through. I'll put the key verses a bit later on up on the screen. I really want you to read them through later on if you get the chance. Maybe, uh, you know, when you're sitting in bed a bit later on, you won't find them short on action. Okay, it's quite a lot that happens. But there are really four big scenes in these last chapters which leave a deep impression of the difference between two men. It's strange to find two kings in the same country, isn't it? But there are two kings in in these five chapters Saul and David. Saul and David, two kings in one country, but they take very, very different approaches to the trustworthiness of God. So let me tell you what happens in scene one, starting in chapter 27. Scene one David is still a a fugitive king, he's on on the run, he's been uh, dodging. Uh, Saul's spear. We've seen spear quite a few times uh, as we've been through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, He's he's on the run. and His life's in, in danger. But he decides to take a sabbatical with the Philistines in the town of Ziklag. Well, that's what it seems like anyway. He's taking a holiday with the Philistines who are traditionally enemies of his own people. The irony is that he's acting as a bit of a double agent. Okay so actually he's, he's taking down some of Israel's enemies while he's telling the king of the Philistines that he's taking down Israel and the language of spy film is if you watch Spooks or something like that then he's a double agent. That's King David. What about King Saul? Well he appears in one of the sections we just heard read. And that comes in chapter 28. And while David is busy double-crossing the Philistines, Saul is being deeply disturbed by them. That's what it says in chapter 28, verse 5. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid and terror filled his heart. And um, his desperation, as Innes just read to us, drives him to a medium in Endor. And... And I've spoken to some people locally. When things are really hard for them, go to their spiritualist church um, just up the road or go and consult a medium. There's a medium, not that I'm recommending that you go there at all, in a narrow bay just down on the Regents Canal. Saul is terrified and he goes to a medium in Endor to try and raise the spirit of Samuel who's died he's a prophet. Now let me say right up front I'm not going to talk about whether there's such things as ghosts or whether there's real power in the occult. You might well to ask a question about that and just send it to the the text number. Perhaps we can talk about that in question time. But The extraordinary thing is that Samuel appears and he not only reminds Saul that Saul has been rejected by God but he declares that Saul will soon be dead. Okay, that's scene two. Back to David in scene three. Okay, chapters 29 and 30. Now David the double agent comes that close to being exposed by the Philistines when the, the king of the Philistines asked him to join his army and fight against Israel. That's something that David wouldn't be prepared to do. He almost... He almost gets uncovered but in fact he walks out of that crisis and he walks into another one because when he gets back to his hometown in Ziklag he finds that it's been burnt to the ground and his family has been abducted that's when he weeps until he's got no more tears left and he turns to God for strength that's what's happened to David's family And in fact, he has to chase off the Amalekites to get his stuff back and indeed his family back. OK, there's a, lot, there's a lot happening in these five chapters. That's scene three. And then scene four is not so much to do with David's family, it's to do with Saul's family. And we heard that tragic account of how his family get killed in battle. That happens in chapter 31, just like Samuel told him, his family are slaughtered by the Philistines on on Mount Gilboa, and then Saul himself dies by suicide, and it's a tragic end to a life that started so well. That's where these chapters are taking us. Okay, it ends with one king suicidal, one king successful, and you might think, what What impression is that meant to leave in our minds as we go back out into central London this afternoon what is it that we're supposed to know for sure let me tell you one thing that we're being taught by these five chapters and you'll see it on the screen the Lord always delivers on what he says you can trust him the Lord always delivers on what he says you can trust him I was talking to a friend the other day and she told me this extraordinary story about something that happened to her when she was quite little. It sounded quite worrying actually. Um, she said that she went to stay with an older relative when she was, when she was quite little uh, with her siblings and they were told that they were going to go to the circus right, by, by, by this older relative. And uh, the day came when they were supposed to be going to the circus and uh, they asked what time they were going And the lady they were staying with replied, there is no circus. There never was a circus. I want to teach you what disappointment feels like. It's an awful thing to do to to the children who are staying with you. The thing is, we we don't need to be taught what disappointment feels like, do we? I mean, I don't need to be taught what disappointment feels like. I've had all kinds of disappointments. Um, in my life. We experience that all the time. What we need to be shown is, is trustworthiness. You know, perfect trustworthiness because that's a very rare thing indeed. Um, and we find that trustworthiness in the God of the Bible. Um, let me show you that, first of all, from chapter 28. That's the second section, you remember, scene two, when Saul's going to the, to the witch in Endor. Saul's in a dreadful state. He's filled with terror and he's, he's just going backwards and forwards between disobedience and distress. Distress and disobedience. And perhaps you know what that feels like. We sort of self-medicate our despair thinking that a, a greater level of freedom from God is going to solve all our problems. Turns out that that's not the case. Disobedience and despair. And so Saul goes to the the witch, the, the, the medium that he's already outlawed and banned in his country. But he, he goes there to call up Samuel. Samuel's a prophet who's died. He sounds a little bit frustrated uh, when he turns up, don't you think? This is, this is what happens. Again, chapter 28, verses 16 to 19. You'll see it on the screen. Samuel says, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? the lord has done what he predicted through me the lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors to david who is the other king because you did not obey the lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the amalekites the lord has done this to you today the lord will deliver both israel and you into the hands of the philistines and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me the lord will also give the army of israel into the hands of the Philistines what a dreadful things to be told you know god has withdrawn his words and then his kingdom and now he's going to withdraw Saul's life it's all ebbing away for Saul and, and from this moment onwards you turn the pages and and you know that Saul's death is going to happen the clock's ticking the lord always delivers on what he says and God does indeed take away his word and, and source kingdom and his life because he's a trustworthy God. And, and, and judgment won't be turned back from that point. It's uncomfortable, but we need a God like that. We need a God who warns and sees through on, on his warning. And it goes without saying we need a God who is trustworthy in his blessing as well. God loves to pour out his blessing on his king. See what he says to King David in chapter 30, verses 7 to 8. Let me read it out. You'll see it once again up on the screen. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. That's the way that God shows his king what decisions he's making. Abiathar brought it to him, verse 8, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And from that point onwards, we just know that God is going to deliver on on what he says. David's going to win the victory, and indeed he does. The Lord always delivers on what he says. In fact, it's no exaggeration to say this has been one of the the key ideas in the whole of the book of 1 Samuel. So I, I don't know if you remember... Well, back in October, when we first had a look at the book of One Samuel, do you remember how it begins? It, it begins with a, a woman who is wordless in her grief because she, she's infertile. And then when, when God answers her prayers, she takes it as a signal that God is going to fulfill all of his promises in a huge way. He's going to fulfill his plans in a big way. This is what she sings. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants. But the wicked will be silenced in a place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The Lord delivers on what he says. We can trust him. Hannah saw that. In chapter two of one Samuel, and, and it's just been a long series of examples about how what God says comes true, and we need to know that. I don't know whether you've ever had the experience of travelling a long distance with a baby in the back of the car. Have you ever? Have you ever had that experience, Nathan? You? Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you know, there's a parent here who could lend you their child if you, if you want that experience, if, if you want that to be part of your life, um, it can be a particular form of torture. And, um, I mean, my, my parents used to talk regularly of, um, of, of, of the difficulty they had driving down from Scotland with a small child in the back. They used to look grey and haunted as they told the story of driving down for 10 hours from Edinburgh. And I mean this had happened in 1969, so I mean they'd they'd had time to sort of, but the story was just etched in the lines on their, on their faces. The thing about children is that you love them, but you can't always explain why they're not getting what they want straight away, it's hard, it's hard. and sometimes we're like those children in that, in that we struggle, and I know what this feels like. We struggle because there are things that we might have been, I can think of things that I've been praying for for 15 years, and, and God has chosen not to give them to me. And, and we struggle sometimes to understand why we're not being given the things we need. And, and there have been people at Trinity who've given up waiting, and my, my heart breaks for them. But 1 Samuel wants to reassure us that God will deliver on his words, wants to reassure us that the God of the Bible is entirely trustworthy. He keeps his promises. God, God keeps his word. Our, our circumstances, if we're Christians, might be mysterious. I, I, don't, I don't always understand why God doesn't give me the things that I, that I feel I need. But as, as I go back to the Bible and as I examine what God has said, I can, I can see that God has provided exactly what he said he would provide. <laughs> Not always what I would want him to provide, but what he said that he would provide. He's done it. And so I know that whatever I'm facing in my life, I can lean into him, and I know that I can trust him to provide what I really need. That's the first point. God delivers. On what he says you can trust him and here's the second point much more briefly the king obeys what God says you can know him the king obeys what God says you can know him you know when when you boil it all down And and five chapters, there's a lot of material to cover. When when you you boil it all down, you find something very, very simple at the heart of the end of the book of 1 Samuel. And that's the difference between Saul and David in the end. That's the one keeps God's word and one doesn't. One keeps God's word and one doesn't. God's given all kinds of commands in, in the book of 1 Samuel, particularly in chapter 15. Uh, there was, uh, there was a, a group of people called the Amalekites, all kinds of hints in the Bible that theirs was a culture gone bad. And I think, I think there's a time like with Nazi Germany when a, when a culture has become so evil that to try and destroy it is the right thing to do. For 300 years, the Amalekites had shown the most shocking cruelty. And God asked Saul to stand up to them. But Saul can't see it through. He won't obey what the, what the Lord says. He doesn't see the issue. This is how Samuel looks back on Saul's disobedience in chapter 28. This is what he says. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. There's one king who, who refuses to obey what God tells him to do. So it's very pointed then in, uh, in chapter 30 when the other king comes along, King David, and he comes up to the Amalekites. Verse 17, it's on the screen. Can you see what he does? David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. What does the true king do? The true king obeys. The true king obeys what God says you can identify him you can identify God's chosen king because he does what the Lord is commanding him to do and so the book of 1 Samuel closes with this portrait of David the king doing what God has told him to do we won't be going on to the book of 2 Samuel but we find out there that David's obedience was still a, a tainted Obedience there were times when he teaches us what disappointment looks like He doesn't obey God right to the end and so in our search for a perfect king. We're constantly being pushed forwards Constantly pushed forwards to try and find a king God's chosen king who will obey wholeheartedly. That's what the whole of 1 Samuel has been about about a search for a king Hey, do you remember one last time the structure of one Samuel, let's put it up on the screen. Eli gives way to Samuel, one prophet gives way to another prophet, Saul gives way to David, a, a bad prophet gives way to a good prophet, then a bad king gives way to a good king. That's the summary because Hannah has told us what this is all about. God brings down the evil and he raises up the faithful all the time, it's like seesaw theology. Yeah, he brings up the humble and he brings down. Proud all the time. And so what does God do with his prophet? Well, he ensures that his trustworthy word will be heard. What does God do with this king? He ensures that the obedient king will one day be identified. And so we don't want to miss him. Jesus Christ, the King who never put a foot wrong, who modeled perfect obedience and 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 the, and the thing is we see his life and we read about it in in the Bible and we know he must be the one he must be the one because his obedience is so perfect he is the king that God wants us to come to and and, and to get to know the one for us to submit to and, and then live our lives for the search for the king is over when we've come to Jesus Christ. God is trustworthy and he sends the king that he says he's going to send. And not only is that king obedient, but he gives his obedience to us for all the times that we've betrayed others, all the times we've caused disappointment, all of that is covered by the obedience of Jesus Christ if we put our trust in him. You got trust issues? Well, if we've lived any time on this earth, then I guess we'll know what disappointment feels like. Some of us, maybe because of our past, will find it very hard to trust anyone. I know that's true. But in Jesus Christ, we find someone to depend on. If you're in any doubt... About that, there's a course called Christianity Explored where we look at some of the evidence that points us to Jesus's kingship. Get in touch and, and book a place. He's not fake. You're not going to be let down. He's set apart by his perfect obedience. And so we know that he must be the king that God has chosen. And the one who puts their trust in him, the Bible says, will never be put What shame. Well, do you carry on sending in any questions we've got? We're going to have a break in just a second for uh, you to discuss things with the people you've come with. But just before we do that, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all we see. If you're King David, thank you the way that he put his trust in you. Thank you for the way that he learned obedience. Thank you for the way in which he knew that your promises to him would be fulfilled because you're a trustworthy God. And I pray, Father, that as we see him pointing forwards to Jesus, the one who will never let anybody down, I pray, Father, we would identify him and trust ourselves to him as the one who will never let us down.